0: young people might enter a kitchen and feel very insecure or might be from a bad background. And then as they, as they grow in their confidence in, in their craft, uh, it, 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 they grow exponentially as well in character, I think. And, and that's probably what brings me the most
1: joy about my cooking career these days. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've had many conversations about the importance of mentors in the hospitality sector those that have been through all the bumps in the road, helping those build their own careers. Recently, we've had a few chefs mention Timothy Montgomery as an important mentor that helped shape their careers. But what does it take to be a great mentor when you're still carving your own career? Timothy, how are you?
0: Really good, yeah. Thanks, um, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to, to be speaking to you today.
1: It's it's great to get you on the show. What's it, what's it feel like for you having chefs have come on the show previously and 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 mentioned you as really important cog in sort of the wheel of their career?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I I, I just sort of I've become conscious that I kind of was you know off the radar of um, you know food media. I guess so, you know um, in the past sort of six or seven years been. Um, doing burgers and 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 have we have a pub now and that kind of thing, so I haven't been really in that scene um, um otherwise i and, and if it wasn't for my various progeny that are out there that are doing well um I suppose you probably wouldn't have got in contact with me, which i think is look i think it's really flattering and um it's you know when you get invited to come on to you know a, a show like this for a conversation with you you get quite reflective i think and and you know I think there was a time in my in my life where I think, um, you know, you you get caught up in, you you sort of, I think you lose direction as to why you became a chef in the first place, which is for me, for me, it was, um, you know, I love to cook for people. I love to, to, to sort of, you know, have that, that feeling of of giving sort of of yourself or giving love or giving happiness to someone through cooking, I think it's a fantastic medium for doing that, and um, that's why I sort of uh, became a chef after I'd been to university, sort of a bit later than most people. But um, I you know I, I love that, and I think you know you can get caught up in in the hats and the reviews and the accolades and the, and the awards and all that kind of stuff, and I think it becomes quite egocentric. So so when reflecting on on sort of that sort of mentorship thing, um, I think that's actually, you know, I think it's easy to get a bit nostalgic and a bit sentimental as you get a bit older. But um, I think, you know, the young guys that have just eclipsed my career and doing amazing things um, that, that say I had a, had an influence on them. It's very humbling and, and, and a really, really lovely compliment
1: it's It's an industry that sort of really needs mentors, you know to um, to deal with the stress and um, the deadlines and and also that sort of um, yearning for perfectionism or aiming for it. Um, did, did, you, did you realize at the time that you were being a mentor to these chefs as they were coming up? Is that something that you were aware of and were actively trying to be? Look, I think,
0: you know, if, if you're at all self-reflective, I think you can be conscious of the influence you have, especially on the younger guys that are in your kitchen or the younger younger people that are in your kitchen. Um, but, you know, you're also very caught up in your own stuff. You know, you're, you're running a kitchen, you're working usually for someone, um, you're trying to get, you know… Um, a first hat a second hat or, or whatever you're trying to you know you're trying to achieve these things you're trying to change menus you're you're very immersed in in what you're doing so um so you, you know i think every now and then i think you're conscious of the, the influence you have on people when it's good or bad I'm, I'm pretty sure there's people from you know the distant past um in kitchens that i've run that probably said i was a negative influence at times but but um but um, you know the, the the bad old days were, were where everyone was very less conscious of mental health and and, and all that kind of thing. I think um, you know we all behaved a little bit a little badly back then.
1: Your career is, is quite fascinating. You've you've been in the realm of all of the accolades and the awards with the incredible restaurants, but you've also created a, a burger offering which, you know, changed the face of burgers for Newcastle, Newcastle and um, became incredibly popular. But take us back to when you were sort of young. What was food like in your family? What sort of role did it play?
0: Um, well, we were um, – so my daughter is actually first-generation Australian. We were um, – English, Scottish, uh, Cornish immigrants. So um, I, I came out to Australia. I call myself Australian. But I, I sort of, we arrived in Western Australia um, in a small sort of seaside Perth town called Malaloo from um, you know, where we were living in Kent, uh, which is actually now southeast London as, as London's sort of grown outwards but um yeah so you know it was very sort of a traditional English household um my grandmother emigrated with us and she lived with us throughout my entire childhood and she was Cornish and she's you know I, I remember her you know cooking with her and um um, you know her making amazing pastries and Cornish pasties and 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 you know caramel slices and those kind of things and and that was sort of my first forays into 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 cooking was the sort of cooking uh, you know uh, hanging on her apron strings um, and yeah it's uh, you know as I mentioned um, you know I, I did go to university out of school but um, but like all of my memories from childhood and all my memories as a, as a young adult and and still now are always you know, food-related <laughs> and, um, you know, like whether, whether it's traveling somewhere or like every, something that might be completely humble and completely, you know, like a pie or, a, or a, like I said before, like my grandma's pasties or, or or it could be, you know, we got to travel to, to Hong Kong when I was a child or, or Thailand and you have the most foreign amazing flavor combinations that you've never tried before and they just, they just stay in your mind um, and the, yeah, my, food, my f- memories have always been very food-centric.
1: You you mentioned um, university, and most people come into the industry, particularly chefs, at, at a young age. But tell us about your transition and what lured you into hospitality.
0: <laughs> um, I used to hang around with a lot of chefs. Actually, a couple of guys that I grew up with were, were in the industry, and we always used to hang out together. Um, and I was doing a oh, the scenic tour of a Bachelor of Arts, um, you know, where majoring in English literature and visual arts. And if you saw you know, my list of electives, it was very clear that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So um, I had a whole lot of disparate interests. um, And, you know, I was there with my brother and um, we we lived on campus for a while. And, you know, there was a lot of partying and a lot of um, not going to class. And um, yeah, it just was one of those things throughout the entirety of what I was doing. apart from I I used to do a bit of um, boxing and stuff as well. And apart from that, I really wasn't interested in much else. Um, I really wasn't committed to my degree I love to read and I loved you know I, when I went to art school I sort of became immensely aware that I wasn't the most talented person in the room and I think that you know, I sort of got brought down a few pegs and 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 the one thing that sort of remained a constant was just my interest in food and then um as soon as I got into a kitchen and saw the buzz and the energy, in fact, I think the first time I, I wasn't conscious of it till afterwards. I, I used to hang out with a with a guy at school um, who was a close friend of mine who, his father had a very famous Italian restaurant called Ragoni's in um, in in Adelaide, and um, it was sort of a sort of a landmark sort of institution. Um, and I remember you know going there after skateboarding and stuff as a, as a you know, 13, 14-year-old and just going in the back of the kitchen and seeing these guys in these pristine white jackets cooking this food. And I thought this is just the, – the buzz of the place was just amazing. Um, and then, yeah, so once I, I kind of got hooked, once I got into a kitchen and I thought, you know, maybe I'll get a, become a qualified chef and become a food writer. And then suddenly that got put on the back burner and I just started of wanted to work in better and better restaurants and, and yeah, the, it took over.
1: You you did your apprenticeship at the Mance, which many years later you actually became the head chef of. Tell us a little bit about that, that journey. What was it like when you first started, but then to years later take over the kitchen?
0: Yeah, it was a strange... Um it, yeah, I sort of started my apprenticeship in a – it was a pub called The Oxford, which was actually next door to the Mance um, in North Adelaide. And um, at the time, um, it had a really amazing dining room run by a chef called Todd Langley, who was this very flamboyant character who did some of the most creative and amazing food in Adelaide at the time. And, um, and yeah, once, once I sort of finished up there, I, I, I always wanted to sort of get into – there was this very just beautiful, ornate you know, building that was built in 1886 – and everyone said that the food in there was amazing and there was this sort of very quiet, humble Swiss chef called Bernard Ortli. Um who was my main mentor in in not just in the kitchen, but in, in lots of things in life. And um, I'm lucky enough to get to work work under him. And he was a Swiss hotel chef from, you know, back in the old days in the 70s and stuff. And his, his you know, his technique was immaculate. The way he handled produce was immaculate. Like his, you know, the way he made sauces and all those things, those little fundamentals that you can learn. I've, I've always tried to emulate the way he handled produce, but I'm, I'm still a little bit heavy-handed, I'm afraid. <laughs> But um, yeah, so w- working there was amazing. So it was very, very classical. So he had some sort of um, a few Asian influences, but it was very much classical French food. Um, and he had an amazing reputation in Adelaide at the time and it was a it was a great place to learn. Um, it's, um, but it was very much a sort of family-run restaurant where there's only three, four, maybe maximum five of us in the kitchen at any one time. And then I, I actually left there and went to Bathers Pavilion in Sydney as a newly qualified chef and that was a learning curve, I tell you. Back in there, <laughs> that was a that was an extreme learning curve with, you know, a nineteen chef brigade where um where people were, you know, I think the strike rate was about three weeks, people were just leaving left, right, and centre. And it was um you know, the standards were so exacting and it was it was so exciting. And I, I think you know, I I recall sort of getting on the phone to people, um in the in the first few weeks, and you know, almost being in tears, going, "I got to come home." And, you know, I thought I was t- yeah, you know, like I said before, I'd I'd been involved with boxing and stuff, and um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a fairly I, I find I think I've got a fairly strong character, but yeah, there was times when I just wanted to go back to Adelaide with my tail between my legs, but once I stuck it out and you earn your stripes and that kind of thing, it just becomes once again addictive and, and it's a it's a great buzz and I'm I'm friends with so many guys that have that have come through, you know, that um, you know, the alumni of bathers in that time. You know, we're all still a lot in contact and some of those guys have gone on to do some amazing stuff as well.
1: What did you take from your your time early on from Bathers before going back to the Mets? Um Look, there was a sense of the I mean there was a sense of
0: perfectionism in what Bernard did at the Mance. Um but at the at that time at um the Bathers it was, you know, two hats, um, just pushing, you know, really pushing the boundaries. It was in that time when, you know, Marco and and Ramsey and all that kind of thing, like kitchens were run kitchens were run quite brutally and aggressively at times and um Yeah, but just the the technique and like, you know having someone Absolutely, always criticizing everything you did um, until you got it perfect. Um, that was, you know, um, and that meshed with creativity as well. Like it was a very strange for me. It was it was amazing to see, you know, what went on behind the scenes, and then just this pristine, immaculate restaurant um, setting. And um, yeah, it was a, it was the first sort of proper sort of um, you know big. I don't know what you call it like it it was you know a proper restaurant essentially like I think I think you know the Mance as it was back then was a very family sort of run business even though had a great reputation and the food was really good Um, yeah it was it was almost like stepping up into the big leagues I guess you know moving from Adelaide to Sydney and and then you know working your way up from the from the bottom of the the bottom rung of the kitchen and that kind of thing it's um, yeah it was a it was a really cathartic experience um more than anything it sort of taught me a lot about what i could do if i just stuck at it i guess you know it wasn't going to be easy but we um yeah but yeah look it was it was really good and like i said i've, I've made a lot of enduring you know, enduring friendships from my time at bathers so um and yeah i think you've had a, probably a couple of the boys on on the on your on your show as well
1: being being a head chef take us back to what that felt like did you feel like you were ready for that or like do you have any stories of what it was like being a head chef for the first time
0: no absolutely not i had I had complete complete imposter syndrome <laughs> like the most imposter syndrome ever like i thought i didn't think i was ready but um i moved back to adelaide i actually hurt my back and i um and I had to, I couldn't work at bathers at the time. And I, I was like, you know, I've got to pay my rent. So oops, I better move back to Adelaide. Um, so I moved back and um, there was sort of things going on in the home. Like my um, my grandmother who lived with us sort of started getting um, dementia. So I ended up sort of staying at home to, to help my mother out. Um, and then um, the manse was changing hands like it was being sold to to this new new group, Um Luke James and Matthew Trim and they, they had a very progressive idea of what they wanted to do with the restaurant. And it was sort of in that time of, you know, Voudemont was, it was on little Collins doing its thing. And, and, you know, Justin was doing cool things at Bacasse and, and, and it was that sort of, you know, French laundry, modern French was sort of the thing at the time, you know, pre all the Noma new Nordic stuff. It was that opulent sort of modern French style. And they wanted to create that kind of restaurant. So, um, so, yeah, so they said, oh, look, you've been working in Sydney. You, you want to come back to the mountains and, and do your thing? And, um, yeah, look, it, it, it all went really well. Like it was, it was hard. Like the kitchen like, was very rudimentary, but I had a team of guys that were just unbelievable and, and we, we all got along really well together, too well together because it was – we partied too much together after work. But, um, but it was um, – no, it was, a really, it was a really amazing time and I, I think I learnt – Like being a head chef for the first time, you don't realize how much there is to it. I think, you know, I I definitely bit off more than I could chew. Um, In hindsight, I would do a lot of things differently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what, what did you enjoy about that time though? You had the challenges and that imposter syndrome, but, you know, what did you take like positively from that experience?
0: Oh, um, I mean, the, the camaraderie, especially, once, once again, enduring relationships that I made with, with guys in, in that kitchen. Um, you know, Adelaide, uh, even though I'm sort of, no, no, Newcastle's become my home now, Adelaide is is where I grew up. Adelaide is sort of, I'm very attached to Adelaide and very nostalgic about Adelaide. And to, to create a, a restaurant, um, with some like-minded people um, that really at the time sort of changed the the, the dining scene in Adelaide it was um, it, it really was it became a Sort of a, a landmark restaurant. Um, once again, like after Bernard, um, th- the new incarnation of the Mance really sort of um, pushed the boundaries a bit more. And and, and yeah, I was immensely proud of, of what we accomplished there. And um, you know, started getting national recognition and you know, write ups in the, the the Australian and invited to go do the Noosa Food and Wine Festival and like all those those little bits of you know when you're working sort of eighty hours a week. Um, and unfortunately, misbehaving for a lot of the rest of the week. Um, you know, there's not a lot of time for reflection, and suddenly you get these little accolades and little pats on the back. And it, and it yeah, it was it was actually a very special time. I'm very, um, you know, even though it was a lot of hard work and a lot of burns and a lot of craziness. Um, You know, I still talk to a lot of the guys in the kitchen and we reminisce fondly about those times, very fondly.
1: You ventured overseas like so many chefs do. Um, Take us on that journey. You spent some time in London and and also Switzerland as well. What what was that period of time like for you?
0: Um, Yeah, look, um, I think by the time I left the manse and I think, you know, due to misbehavior as much as hard work I, I was quite burnt out um and um I needed a bit of a break so uh, I, I had no real game plan moving to London um I, I moved to London thinking maybe I'll jump into you know a Michelin star restaurant and and see how that goes and all that kind of thing and then I fell into sort of where I'd lived as a child which is sort of it's the sort of southeast London you know outer London badlands now it used to be Kent um it was quite it was quite funny i you know, you moved to, um, I'd been back to England a couple of times, but, but, you know, you have this, I had this perception that, that, you know, England was so genteel and England was so, you know, posh and proper and, and I was going to go back and, and it was going to be so, so amazing. And, and, um, it was really odd because it was rough. It was so rough. And, um, like where I was, where I was staying at the time and I was, I was, um, I just sort of went to the pub down the road from where I went to, you know, I was in year one at school. Um, and, um they needed a chef and I ended up helping them run the pub for a little while and um, it was a really cool experience um, just to see that part of town and we got to go so without working in a, in a Michelin star restaurant I still twice a week we went into into the East End and went to Smithfield Markets and bought all our meat and Billingsgate and Spitalfields and got all our produce for the week and um, and you know I got to see and use so so even though we were just doing stuff for the pub which was quite simple I'd you know go and get a lobe of foie gras or go get a, a woodcock or a woodcock or a grouse or, or something and, and cook it in the kitchen at the pub just, you know, for myself or the owners or whatever. And just because it was, you know, all these books that I'd read as a young chef growing up, you know, White Heat and um, uh, even SSS and, and but, but you know, Le Gavroche and all that stuff, I, I suddenly could get These produce, I could suddenly get seps and chanterelle mushrooms, and and you know these amazing, you know proper foie gras and all that kind of thing. And um, so I just sort of play around with it in the kitchen at the pub myself. And on um, on my days off, I'd go and eat. Go to you know I went to Marco Pierre White's Mirabelle restaurant. That was a bit of a bit of a pilgrimage. Um, and several times I went to, um, Brett Graham's, the, um, restaurant in Ledbury in Notting Hill. Um, so got to, got to sort of see that side of London without, um, while, while sort of recharging my batteries, I guess. And then, um, Bernard, uh, my old chef from the Mance had, um, moved back to his family restaurant in, in the Swiss Alps and called me one day and said, Hey, look, uh, I'm out of a chef. I need a chef. Like, what are you doing? And I said, I said, I'll be there in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and, um, and yeah it was it was it was really beautiful that was a that was a really amazing time actually the you know the Swiss are very particular about what they do and um you know we were living on the side of a mountain in this beautiful hotel and um my my sous chef um, he spoke really good English. Uh, he'd grown up in Holland, um, even though he was Swiss. But his family lived on the side of the mountain just up from where, where the hotel was. And they lived very traditionally, made cheese, had goats. You know, um, they'd milk the cows in the morning and they'd put cream on the, on the, the, the fresh cream on coffee with a little shot of snaps. Um, it was just, it was just a, such a beautiful place to live, like an immaculately beautiful place to live. Um, and um, I learned a lot about also, you know, traditional Swiss food. Um, it wasn't, you know, pushing boundaries. It wasn't um, foams and jellies and molecular gastronomy. It was pretty much the opposite of that. But I, but I really, I really loved that, and it was a good experience in the sense that um, I, I sort of had a bit of, I've had a couple of epiphanies in my in my life, I guess, about cooking. But the one of them was, you know, I, I'd been working in restaurants where, you know, you'd want to put. You know, back in those days as well, like in the in the early 2000s, you know, you wanted to put as much on a plate as you can and show how big your ego was and, you know, how much you could do and like you'd have 19 different components on a plate and foams and saucers and whatever. And, and you know, I'd go to like a little um, mom-and-pop place on the side of the mountain in a little village in Switzerland or, you know, go down to um, – You know, Trentino or like in the Tirol, like in Alto Adige, you know, just past the, into Italy. Um, And, you know, you you get fed something with, you know, it might be gnocchi with burnt butter and sage sitting on the side of a mountain and it's the best thing you've ever eaten in your life. And I just thought, sort of went, you know what? Like, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be overworked. It doesn't have to be that way, you know. So, and I think, um, I think that sort of changed my, my approach to things a lot, especially yeah, my time in, in Switzerland, especially, um, I had a similar experience. Actually, I, I, I got to go to cook it, to cook at the um, Salon de Gusto in um, Northern Italy, um, where that was when I was a backer So I was still a, I was doing sort of fancy food at the time. But um, I we got to go over there and take um, local Hunter Valley lamb over there and and cook it in this international kitchen for for all these different people to try so the salon de gusto is this huge huge food festival in northern italy where people come from all over the world all over italy and show their produce and, and and whatever and i was it was in this international kitchen and um Cooking with people from Tunisia or or Indonesia or obviously Italy as well because there were so many Italians um, and people as you'd be talking as you you're cooking they'd watch what you were doing and they'd say oh so so what kind of food do you cook and I'd be like um, shit I cook French food like and I had this epiphany like Jesus I, I I'm Australian and I and I cook French food and I think that was another little epiphany that really made me change my style like when i went back to newcastle after that i really um tom robinson was working with us as well very very intelligent um passionate chef and and we really made an effort to become fiercely regional and and really try and express what was on our doorstep rather than emulate stuff that we'd seen in europe essentially
1: well, what you did at Bacchus was was extraordinary. Like um, multiple uh, chef hats in the top hundred with Gourmet Traveller. What, what lured you to Newcastle, and, and tell us about the restaurant?
0: Um, yeah, look, I, I got in, I got engaged um, just before. To, to um, I've been sort of off and on with um, my girlfriend at the time for for several years, and we parted company for about four and a half years. And then she saw the error of her ways, and um, <laughs> we got engaged. Um, uh, just as I was leaving Switzerland, so um, yeah, my wife is, do- is a, now is a, is a doctor, and she got her internship at the John Hunter here in Newcastle. So um, I I said, oh look, that'd be great. Look, I'm going to try and get a restaurant in Newcastle. Um, we'll get a chef's hat. I I want to get a chef's hat in the Sydney Morning Herald. We'll stay for one or two years, then we'll move back to Adelaide or Melbourne or something like that. And yeah, that was you know 14 years ago. <laughs> so so we we had yeah no intention of leaving now. Like it's it's definitely become home. Um, and yeah, Bacchus was really interesting. It was um it was just it's this beautiful beautiful space. Like um it's an old mission theatre um, built in, in the 90, early 1900s. I think 1906. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, somewhere around there, and it was this huge, you know, very very um, ornate space, um, and and yeah, look, um, had a, had an amazing team of people that w- worked with there. Uh, one of them, in, well, actually two of them. You guys, I think you've had on the show, Reese Connell and Aaron Ward. Um, you know, Reese, I, I arrived at, at Bacchus, and he was a he was a um, uh, what do you call it, a work experience student? And um, and I, I saw I was like this kid's got a lot of talent. Like let's just snap him up. So straight out of school, Reese came to work for us. He did his whole apprenticeship with us, and then um, ended up um, going straight into Six Penny as a qual- as a newly qualified chef, which I think was unheard of at the time. Stayed with Martin Martin Ben for for years, and then went over to Open Society and is now the head chef at the Gantry in Sydney. He's one of, a, a perfect example of you know one of those kids that I'm just so immensely proud of. Um, and same with Aaron Ward. Aaron Ward, kid from Tyree, came in one night for a deg-o. Um, You know, hard to miss out in the dining room, being like six foot six foot seven. Um, and uh, he came back came back a couple of days later and said, oh, "I'd love a job." And then some months later, became the sous chef. And then um, you know, we were chatting, and he, he really wanted to work work in Sydney. And I said, oh, "I think Dan Puskis is about to open Sixpenny, um, or about, about to open a restaurant." And then you know, he ha- I think he just stayed at. Stayed it down and stayed it down and stayed it down until until you got the job there and then stayed there for a long time. Um, You know, Sixpenny hit three hats. Um, You know, Aaron's got like a multitude of awards and now now is the now is behind the behind the pans. at Shell House, doing amazing things, and yeah, once again, like so proud of what what he's like. I, I um, hopefully I, I get to mention all the kids' names, but but um, there's there's so so many guys out there that I that have just eclipsed anything I've done, and I'm 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 so immensely proud of them. Um, but yeah, so Bacchus, um, yeah, it was just one of those things that Newcastle. I, I think you know I was at, I was out one night, um, a golden century, and I think I ran into Matt Preston. And he was like, Jesus, where have you been? Where are you these days? And I said, um, and I said uh, I'm said, i in Newcastle. And he goes, why? Why would you do that? And, I, <laughs> and, I, and I was, um, there's, there's this perception probably still that Newcastle is quite a rough, um, you know, steel, steel town, blue collar town. Um, and, it, and it was. I mean, I remember coming up here when I lived in Sydney in like 2003. And, I, and it was pretty rough. I mean, having subsequently lived in southeast London, it's not rough at all. But, um, but, um, the, the, um, yeah, like there there is that, there was that perception and I think it's changed over time. And when I first sort of started cooking here, um, you know, 13 years ago, it, it was like a, there was a couple of people doing sort of interesting dining and fine dining, um, Leslie Taylor, restaurant two. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years after Bacchus, um, Chris Thornton, who you've also had on the show yeah, Um, great mate of mine. He did some amazing things at Mason as well. Another had restaurant. And, um, I think, yeah, the dining scene was just sort of emerging and, um, yeah, we, we really had a good thing. You know, we had a great front of house team led by Heather Moore and, um, yeah, amazingly talented hardworking, talented, hardworking guys in the kitchen. And um, it was really like for a while there, uh, yeah, it's something I'm very, very proud of. Like it was a, a great dining experience. I still have people. In fact, I had a guy come up to me. at a. I was doing a, a charity ball um, a couple of nights ago with um, Justin North and Adrian Richardson and a few other guys just to raise money for variety and, um we, uh, had a had a guy come up and said, oh, "I think it's such a terrible shame um, what's happened." I was like, "What?" And he's like, oh, "You closed closed backers and now you're making burgers." I was like, "Man, burgers help pay our mortgage, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> like if you know if you if you come into us a little bit more, it might have still been open." Um, no, I, I was I'm I'm playing, but th- it's, um, yeah, it's just funny cause, um, yeah, it became a very sort of, you know, the big night out in, in, in Newcastle, I guess it was a very special occasion sort of restaurant. So, um, but yeah, we, we, you know, Tom and I, um, you know, Tom, Tom Robinson and I've known each other for a long time, and, you know, you had him on a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I actually got, I, I was quite moved when I, when I heard him talking about his time working with us, working together. And, and, uh, it, it was, it's, um, yeah, it was a we, – we did some cool things. We did some crazy things. We, you know, we'd, um, we, we we met a, um, a local Indigenous elder and she took us out foraging a couple of times and um, we were really trying to learn a lot about um, sort of what's usable on the doorstep and what we could forage because, you know, foraging was quite um, – the rage at that time um you know so much so we'd you know we'd have reese connell and various other junior chefs you know raiding people's gardens (laughs) um but um it's uh like it it was yeah we did some we did some cool things and 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 really were like it was this group of people that really wanted to push the push the envelope and do cool things for newcastle and for ourselves and, and and it was very cool
1: I'm fascinated by one of the epiphanies that you talked about with that realisation you are cooking French and then returning and wanting to change tact and, um, you know, be fiercely local. How challenging was that for you and how much did your food change? Could, do you have any examples of, of sort of dishes or direction that sort of exemplifies that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, we came back and uh, I'd also eaten, like my wife and I had been um, – uh, for an extensive tour of uh, America by car, um, where you know we ate at lots of diners and stuff like that, but we also, which which actually coloured a lot of what I do now. But um, the um, we also ate at a few you know amazing restaurants, you know, Eleven Madison Park, we've been to a couple of times, and Manresa in um, in California and the California coast. Um, and Manresa had this dish, which just well, he had a few dishes that night. Actually, he really looks after us, but. Um, there was there was a few dishes. One of them was this 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 dish, which was kind of like a it was like a rock pool essentially, like it was inspired by. And and um, you know Tom and I sort of put our heads together um, in Newcastle and were like, you know, um, the indigenous name for Newcastle is Malubimba. Which means the place of um, essentially the place of forage sea herbs and sea flora. Um, so we decided to make a sort of a Newcastle tidal pool dish, where we, we'd be going down daily and, and picking new sea lettuce and um, you know uh, sea spaghetti and different t- sorts of local um, things, warrigal greens. We used we started using a lot; they were, they were all over the coastline. Um, and yeah, look, we, it really sort of coloured a lot of what we did, and we 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 had a, like a little sort of Newcastle um we look at newcastle stories as well and you know the story there was a um uh oh god i can't remember his name i shouldn't remember his name because i'm such a big boxing fan um the there was a famous boxer who was a world champion from newcastle who was called the Maitland wonder um and we had a we had a dish on um called knuckles black eyes and broken cheeks which was sort of a an homage to him which had like pork knuckles, black eyed peas and, and um and pork cheeks and stuff. And um so we, we we tried to sort of create um an experience that that really spoke to Newcastle, uh, or spoke of Newcastle. Um even though ironically enough, both Tom and myself are South Australian. Um but um yeah look it, it was we we really sort of consciously put an effort into learning as much as we could um, and doing justice to sort of local produce and, and all that kind of thing, even though, you know, we're still using classical technique cause that's what we know. Um, yeah. We really tried to push the boundaries with that sort of regionality um, which is nothing, you know, we, we weren't, you know, we weren't cutting edge. I mean, everyone was kind of doing it at the time. And I think once that sort of NOMA, um, that Nordic influence took over. I think people became fiercely, even more fiercely, local, uh, and you know that, that push to you know indigenous um, produce and and really um, you know you being conscious of what's on our doorstep. I think has really taken off, which is great.
1: You've um, spent over a decade, as you mentioned, in Newcastle, but there was a detour for a little while up north to Barado's in, in Noosa um, where you got a chef's hat, you got in the top 50 with the Australian, you made an impact the short time you were there. How, how different was that environment and, and that restaurant compared to Newcastle?
0: Um, yeah, it looked very different, <laughs> very different. Um, it's one of those things, um, you know, I worked for Jim Burrado and he's a very polarising figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We always we always got along very well. I got to choose my words really carefully. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, look, um, it was a great experience in in certain, certain ways. And once again, I've got lasting relationships from some of the guys I worked with. It was an oddest thing. I you know I said to a couple of guys. I actually called Colin Fastenich uh, um, and said, "Mate, should I take this job up in up north?" Um, and he's like, "Oh, what, working for Jim." Um, I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well." I don't know. Look, just check it out. Look, go up there for a while. It can't hurt, and see what happens. Um, and that's been pretty much, pretty much what I did. And um, yeah, look, it was. It, I, I wanted the restaurant to be sort of a bit more than than it was. Like it was. I think there were a lot of there were there were a lot more financial constraints than you know. I was I was blessed at. Um, at Bacchus to work for uh, a guy, um, Matt Higgins, who was, you know, he was one of the most amazing people to work for because it, nothing was too much. Nothing was too much trouble. If I wanted a certain type of cutlery, certain type of glassware, flatware, plates, staff, whatever, he was like, yep, do it, no worries, because he he just wanted the restaurant to be the best it could be. Um, and I think, you know, Burrado's have been open for so many years that I think um, Jim was at the point where I think it was, you know, he he wanted a good chef in there, and he wanted to do some good stuff, but it was it was also very conscious. Sorry, my dogs are out the front going crazy. Um, um, you know, I think he was it, it was it was much more there were much there was much more constraint in that regard. I think, um, but um, you know, it, it was it was it was the oddest thing. I, I arrived in in Noosa, and you know, moving to regional Queensland, and my entire kitchen brigade of seven chefs were all French. <laughs> and and uh, you know, so and I I've spent I've spent most of my career cooking French food and um I had to convince these guys that I could cook French food. Um which is not easy if you if you work with a lot of French guys, it's not easy. So um, you know, I was making a I was making a terrine and I, I remember um he's a very good friend now, um Clement Vachon. Uh he's uh, you know this big proud guy from from um, Bordeaux and and he was like my grandmother makes this dish, you better make it well and um and, uh, and anyway, so um, I ended up winning, winning them all over and yeah, like I said, building lasting, lasting relationships, but it was the last thing I expected, you know, uh, move, moving to you know, regional Queensland and, and literally everyone was, uh, we, and then we eventually had an Italian chef as well, but pretty much everyone was from Europe so yeah it was a strange um yeah it was a strange thing but um no look it was a great experience and i I do love noosa um it's got a very very soft spot um in my heart um but um yeah look i once i once i sort of realized it it wasn't exactly what i wanted it to be um uh i i sort of and and we my wife and i ended up getting pregnant and and um i just wanted to be back in newcastle so um and yeah that and then one thing leads to another and um you know, if once uh, once you have a ch- once I had a child, I think my priorities completely changed.
1: Well, when we had Thomas uh, Robinson on, he sort of detailed uh, Rascal and um, told us some stories about that. But it was such a detour from sort of what you had done in your career. Tell us about you know how you ca- how it came about and and the sudden success that it had.
0: Yeah, look, my my business partner Ty, um, we'd sort of wanted to do something together for a while. And we're thinking about, you know, uh, a bistro, a restaurant, um, a bar, you know, we, we were banding around various ideas. And he just said one day, what about a burger joint? And, you know, um, I'd sort of been to America quite quite a bit and, and, and you know, done extensive tours of diners and, and, and burger joints and that kind of thing. Um, and... Um, and wing joints and all that kind of stuff. And I love that kind of Americana. I love that stuff. I, I'm a big, you know. I get very nostalgic about that whole sort of Twin Peaks, Small America sort of sort of thing. Um, so, so I I was immediately interested. And then um, Tom Tom was finishing up um, at the hand with fast or well, the fat. Well, actually, that was winding up um, and closing. So he was at a loose end, and we we decided that. Um, yeah, we'd do it. We had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea what we were in for. We sort of—I think Tom mentioned on your on your show a couple of weeks ago. Like, um, you know, we thought we might sell like a thousand burgers a week, and like in the first week was was about three thousand. And, um, and look, it just was a monster from day one. We had lineups out the door and, um, it's settled down a lot now. It's a very, it's much more, you know, um, systemized and all that kind of thing. But at the start, we had no idea. We were just, just on the grill every day on just, just making burgers. And it just was relentless for the first four months. It was just relentless until we realized we needed to get more chefs, more structure, more streamlined, um, and, you know, that sort of – you know, when you, you've done a lot of event work and you've done a lot of like high number, like high volume sort of catering and that kind of thing, you can apply that to, you know, um, what you do in a, in a fast food operation, I guess, and – and um, yeah, like, uh, and we'd we'd seen we'd seen what sort of Morgan McGlone, um had done um, with bells, and and you know um, Warren Turnbull obviously with Cherberger in Sydney. Like we know we know Warren quite well, and um, you know we yeah we just didn't realise how much of a beast it was going to be since from day one, and um, yeah we try and use good produce, local produce, um, as ethically you know uh, as we as ethical as we can, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, it's still the to, to months. I would mention to you before um, before we we started the, the the recorded conversation that we did. Um, one of our shops is at a is at a um, shopping center, and the, the, the guys that run the shopping center funded us doing a uh, five dollar burger. So the first hundred people that came in after midday um, got a five dollar burger, and yeah, we we did hundred burgers in thirty eight minutes. So, and then I, then I came here for the podcast. So, so yeah, it's um, it's yeah, look, it's it's still it's still a monster, um, and um, very lucky once again with like a group of young people that really that help us run it, and and it's it's um, yeah, once again, like like ten years ago, if you said oh, you're going to have a a burger shop and a pub, um, I um. I would have thought, no, there's no way. But like once again, I'm immensely proud of what we've done with it. It's a cool brand, and um, and yeah, look, Newcastle. Luckily for us, and we're very blessed that Newcastle sort of taken us in.
1: 2020 well, is a year that uh, none of us are going to forget. But um, speaking of the pub that you just mentioned, that you opened a newly renovated pub that year, what was it like? Not only venturing into that realm, but in that period of time as well.
0: Well it's one of one of those things that, um you, you know you uh, at the start we sort of touched on that whole mentorship thing um with with Rascal I was conscious that we weren't really imparting any knowledge or or you know um I sort of missed that what working with people and you know teaching that side of of cooking and and, and that kind of thing um not that I'm in the pub that much on on the on the pans these days um but we've got an amazing team amazing head chef josh lips who's you know ex-fish face ex-peer uh ex-bilsons and um we're lucky so lucky that he's he's um running the kitchen at the pub for us he's immensely talented um but yeah so so when my business partner ty wanted to wanted to buy the prince um i was kind of a bit hesitant but then i thought like it's actually actually be a great idea and, and a great way to sort of get into a space where we've got a bistro that can do some cool food and teach kids the, um, you know, correct, uh, techniques and that kind of thing, making sauces and, and, and butchery and, and, um, Josh's, um, he, uh, you know, he works for, for Josh Nyland and, um, his, his fish butchery is absolutely immaculate, um, And, and yeah, look, yeah, it's, it's one of those things as well from day one that was super busy. Um, And then, yeah, 2020. So we opened in the October 2019. And then October, October, November 2019. And then obviously, COVID hit the following, you know, couple months later, and we had to close for a few months. But um we kept a sort of we've got a bottle shop and we kept um we kept a sort of uh, takeaway offering going. We've got a drive through bottle shop and that sort of kept people coming through and then once we once we reopened, even with limited numbers as they were, like the place has been really well received by Newcastle again and it's super busy all the time, which is
1: great. A little earlier, you were talking about a um, mentor of your own when you were young and, and in the industry. And you mentioned that they helped you um, with life more so than necessarily the trade. Is that something that you see as more vital in that sort of mentorship through the industry for people um, rather than the, ab- the skills that they might obtain?
0: Yeah. yeah. Look, um, without, without turning this into a into a you know a psychology session um the, <laughs> the um I uh, my my father lovely man as he was um you know he he sort of he moved to Hong Kong when I was in my early teens and we didn't have all that much contact with him um so I think my brother and I got to a certain point where we um sort of needed male role models um or, or looked for male role models and um uh, as I touched on before, like um, boxing and that kind of thing, our, our boxing coach became sort of a very important um, person in our lives um, in that regard, taught us a lot about, um, you know, intestinal fortitude and, and overcoming fears and all that kind of stuff. And um, Bernard Ortley was, was, um, I think I told, I actually caught up with him in Adelaide a couple of, couple of months ago and I, I sort of sort of tried to tell him this. It's, it's funny, you know, it's funny listening to Tom Robinson's podcast as well, you know, um, We don't, as men, sort of say how we feel openly enough. I don't think, obviously, and and um, until you come on a on a podcast, which is you know, tell it like is is broadcast nationally (laughs) for thousands of people to hear, (laughs) then you then you feel like you can open up. Um, We're odd people, aren't we? But um, but um, no, it's um, yeah, like. Figures like that uh, I think are so important um, for young people, male or female, you need, you need someone to, to sort of look up to and to show you the way. And, you know, Bernard was an amazing guy and uh, I think probably some people listening to this would be like, well, you didn't really have uh, – you, you were a bit angry at times in kitchens. But he he bucked the trend at the time where, where everyone was trying to be Ramsey, everyone was trying to be Marco, and he was just this gentle – like you know, everyone respected his skills and everyone respected him. And every now and then, he'd raise his voice, but he was just the most gentle, kind um, chef and person to work for. And and um, yeah, he taught me taught me a lot. And and um, you know, you could talk to him about anything. You know, you, if you go out and get into a fight on the weekend, or if you, you you misbehaved, or you broke up with your girlfriend, or you whatever happened, you could just sit down and talk to him. And um, he it was a very familial. Atmosphere in that restaurant, and and you know you'd sit down on the, on a Saturday night after service, and he'd open amazing wine, and you'd have some cheese or whatever, and everyone would sort of decompress, and and it was just a it was just a beautiful um, a beautiful approach to hospitality, um, which I think you, you you know you move to somewhere like like. Bathers, for instance, which I did, I, I love, and, and I, I really hold hold that time very, very. Um, you know, the year I spent at Bathers was, was very. You know, I, I feel very. I remember it very fondly. Like it was a completely different restaurant experience. Like it was much much less personal. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I still I still sort of yeah. My, my boxing coach Vince and 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 Bernard, I think that it's probably the two two men that had the sort of most influence in in even the decision making I, I still make to this day.
1: Well, there's been um, so many um, people that you have influenced, and um, we've detailed them, and in interviews on Deep in the Weeds, um, and you've he- heard some of them. But well, what is it that you love about what you do?
0: Yeah, look, um, it's so funny because I think since I since I've stopped um, my all in, all engrossing um, chase for hats and accolades, which I think was somewhat. Um, Look, it's great. Look, it's it's really good, and I think people like you know, young chefs should aim aim to to for, for those for those accolades. Um, but I think since I've sort of stopped doing that, I enjoy cooking so much more. Um, I've sort of rediscovered m- why I, I love cooking and cooking for people. Um, uh, I cook so much more at home for my family and for friends and that kind of stuff, and I, I really enjoy It's a different, obviously it's a different type of cooking. Um, yeah. But what we do in the, what we do in the pub now, like I, I, I'm fiercely proud of that, you know, yeah, we sell burgers and schnitzels and pizzas and all that kind of thing, but we also have um, a great restaurant offering um, and we use great produce and great technique. And, and I really, I really enjoy that. And I love that, um, you know, we can still continue to inspire young guys, young people, um, I shouldn't say guys, I was male or female. Um, uh, you know, the kitchens back in, back in the days were very misogynistic and I think that's changed much for the better these days. Um, and, you know, um, uh, one, one of the guys I'm super proud of as well is um, Rebecca Scully. Um, she works for us at Bacchus, and you know, I think she's been with Josh Nyland for a few years now and, um, done amazing things in, in, in her own right. Um, and yeah, look, um, yeah, like I kind of mentioned before, I think I think what I'm most proud of these days is what the what the guys um, that that have worked with us over the years have accomplished. You know, um, Will, I've got a, a young guy called Will Smith who's uh, not the Will Smith, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, um, he's actually the antithesis of Will Smith, but um, you know, he he came. It was another one. It's kind of, kind of like Reese. He came to us from from a school. Um, uh, placement uh, back in Adelaide, and and was had a stutter and was sort of socially awkward, and then just watching him blossom um, as his confidence grew in cooking, his confidence grew in in life, and that happens so much. I think people, you know, young young people might enter a kitchen and feel very insecure, or might be from a, a bad background, or might be, you know, um, might have a host of um, emotional um, problems or and then as they as they grow in their confidence in in their craft uh, it, it, it they grow exponentially as well in character i think and, and and watching guys like that like will will now has his own restaurant in copenhagen he he worked at Dranium for a few years as, as one of their head chefs um he he's done amazing things he was at Beaudemont for a few years in the in the in the heyday in in little Collins street like he he just went on to do amazing things as well and um you know there's you know it's um it's it's great to to watch that and if that's you know, it, hearing hearing that from like hearing that I could have had an influence on any of these guys' lives and careers, it makes me super super proud and and and, and that's probably what brings me the most joy about my cooking career these days.
1: Well, yeah. Timothy, it's an absolute honour to finally get you on deep in the weeds and hear a bit of your story. I know there's so much more to it, so I'd love to get you back on down the track and um, but please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Absolutely. absolute pleasure to talk to you, mate. Thank you very much.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds Podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to Executive Producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.